Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here. I've got a, you know, a big smiley face on on the outside, but I've got a little sad face on the inside. I'm kind of sad we're coming to the end of, of James. Now, we've been in this really very short book of the Bible, only five chapters since the end of July. So I'm guessing some of you are quite happy that we're finally at the end of James. It should have never taken this long. But uh, I tell you what, I, I have loved being in James. I, I've loved getting to know James. I, I, I feel like I've fallen in love with a good friend that I'm a slight intimidated by. You know what I'm talking about? But I just, I just so respect I respect how he came to Christ. I, I respect the extent he went to faithfully following Christ. And, and I think what I enjoy about James so much is how he can take these, these big ideas, this, this big idea of faithfully following Christ, and he's able to boil it down into these pretty simple statements, these really practical ideas. I mean, folks, think of some of the just gems, the, 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 the one-liners that we leave this study with. Gosh, I mean, right out of the gate, James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy. Count it as a joy when you go through hard times. I mean, they're just right there. What, what do I do when life's caving in? Count it as a joy for you know, boy, those are three important words when, when life's kind of raining down on you, isn't it? What you know what, what you can hold on to, that you're not just taking another hit from a random world. No, you can know that this, this trial, that this testing of your faith is going to produce steadfastness. It's, it's going to build something in your life. It's going to produce something in your life. God's going to make sure of that. James 1.19, let every person, every person in this room, let every single one of us, everyone watching on the internet right now, let every single one quick, quick to hear, or hear, <laughs> we don't hear with this, do we? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Gosh, there's so much to be angry about. I don't know about y'all, but my anger usually is on fast track. I can get that in fifth gear pretty quick. But no, we're supposed to be slow to that. Why? Because you know what? Really, when we stop and think about it, our anger is not going to be the answer. Our, our anger is not going to produce the righteousness of God. Or, or James chapter 2, we saw, so if also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Think about that. We have a faith, right? My, my faith is important to me. You know, I, I have this faith. Well, what we see in this verse is that faith can be measured. It, it, it can be measured as simple as it's alive or it's dead. And I should be able to look at the good works it's producing in my own heart and mind. The good works it's producing in, in those around me. And if I don't see that, I have to wonder, gosh, is my, is my faith that I call so important to me, is it actually dead? Or James 3, but no human being can tame the tongue. What a reminder of our not daily need, our literally conversation by conversation need for the Holy Spirit. Man, I need his help. I need his guidance because this thing that lives behind my teeth is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Or one of my favorites, James 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do. You know, you know what God's been leading you to do. You know he's been telling you to come to Christ. You know he's been telling you to, to get connected, to get involved with the church. You know he's been telling you to say you're sorry. You know he's been telling you to forgive that person. You know he's been telling you to give, to help. 
You, you know he's been telling you to step out in faith. Folks, we, we all have these things. We, I just really feel like God's leading. But I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm waiting for it. James says, no, listen, when you know what God's telling you to do and you're not doing it, it's just plain old-fashioned sin. And sin's rebellion against God. You're rebelling against what you know God's calling you to do. And then where we finished last week, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the return of the Lord. Gosh, if, if we can just take this handful of one-liners right here and, and get those anchored in our lives, get those applied in our lives, I, I don't know about y'all, I, I, I feel like I'd be well down the road to living a strong, effective, faithful Christian life. And yet, as we now come to the end of James, we're going to see, I think, a, a little bit of a switch. You, know, you think about when, when somebody ends a letter. Now, that doesn't mean the last thing is always the most important thing, but it is what they're leaving in your memory, right? The last thing you hear, the last thing you read, that's what you remember. And in this last thing that he's leaving us with, he's changing gears a little bit. And, and, and I think what we're seeing is what we are together. We see his love for the church, his love for the, the people of God, and, and that while you and I are evaluating what our faith is individually, ultimately, folks, we put our faith in gear together. We should have a vision of what we be and do together. You know, when I think of vision, I, 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 of course, I think of the vision of the Heights, our, our church family here. And that is to impact our community and our world for Christ. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. We want to have an impact on where we live and, and where we breathe and, and spend each day. But we also have to have a vision for what's the impact, what's the difference we're making in, in the whole world. And the reason we have to think that way is because Jesus told us to. This isn't something our church came up with. No, no, Jesus told us that. In Acts 1.8, he says to every believer, he says to every church, you are my witnesses where? He tells us where? In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If we were to read that, if he were to say that to us today, he'd say, listen, you need to be thinking about how you are a witness for me in Richmond, in Virginia, in the United States, and, and to the ends of the earth. And so, folks, it's a verse like this that is why we're, we're feeding people and sharing the gospel in Ettrick, around the corner. It's why we're feeding people and sharing the gospel in Nicaragua and Zimbabwe, around the world. We want to have an impact out there for God. But you know what? It's not, the impact we want to have is not just out there. Man, we want to have an impact in here too, Right? An impact in here. Now, you know, we start pointing and say, hey, we want to have an impact on you. Well, what is that impact you want to have? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that are an impact, folks. We can set a garbage can on fire. That's an impact. Not really the one we're shooting for, though, is it? No, you know, if I were to describe the impact we want to have on a, on a person, if you come in here one time and visit and never return, we want to have an impact on you. If you come in here and spend, say, oh, the next 50 years. We want to have an impact on you. And, and I think that impact could best be described by our core values. You see them in the bulletin. I, 
If not every week, I think most, week, we, most weeks we have our, our core values listed in there. But this describes the kind of impact we want to have on a person. You come in here once or you come for the next 50 years. We hope when you leave, there's a greater commitment, a greater understanding of your commitment to Scripture. We've encouraged, motivated a lifestyle of worship and prayer and, and you sharing the good news and, and living in community. Understand that we have a culture where we serve. That's what we do. We serve serve we minister and no matter how we serve no matter how we minister no matter what our age if we're a part of the church we've always got an eye for reaching the next generation always have an eye every one of us what am i doing so i'm involved in reaching the next generation now folks you catch me on the right day and i could tell you why any single one of these is the most important one If I started preaching on any one of these, I'd say, now this is really the most important one since it's what I'm talking about. I mean, they're all important. And it's not really our goal to pull one out and say this is the most important one. Each one of them is a a commitment of ours. Each one of them tells a little bit of the story of the heights. And really, not just the past, but as we move forward, this is kind of what we use to measure. Hey, is this event, is, is this idea, is this thing we're doing, is it helping bring these kinds of things about. So it's not about pulling one out. It's about every single one of them. Now, having said that, guess what I want to do today? I want to to pull one out. (laughs) I, I want to pull out this one. Living in community. Because this is about us being the church. Of all of these, this is the one that is the fact that, hey, we don't take on these six things as a group of individuals that that agree to meet in a building periodically. No, we take on these six things as the church. We we do this together. Now, as we've walked through James, you, you now know this is about been putting faith in gear, right? And so we've looked at, okay, what is that faith? How does that affect the way I talk? How does that affect the way I look at people? How does that affect the way I look at the money? How does that affect the way I look at tomorrow? And so as we've gone through these messages, there, there is a real kind of individualistic approach, isn't there? I'm looking at what am I doing? How is my faith being put in gear? Is it doing it the way Jesus said? So there's been this individualistic look for, for 12 weeks now. And yet we come to the end, and I think you're going to hear James saying today, we put our faith in gear together. The faith that is put in gear is done together. Let's see if you hear that. Would you turn with me today to our our last passage, James chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you'll get it out, open it up. Not quite sure where James is, just go to the end of the Bible, that's Revelation, and then just start backing up a few small books and you'll run into James. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far, go back to the right. James chapter 5 verse 13 is where I'm going to begin today. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now let me stop right there, that sounds a little bit like an individualistic statement, doesn't it? If you as a person are suffering, here's what you as a person should do. But as you as we continue to go through this, you're going to see the theme is together. So what you should be hearing in this is we suffer together. We celebrate together. We pray together. Let me keep reading. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I read something interesting this week that I hadn't really seen before, but that, that word, uh, that idea of anointing the sick with oil, that, that, the word oil is used as a representative uh, of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old and New Testament. And so this idea, we're very physical beings. Faith is hard, right? Because faith is a lot of times what I can't see, what I can't touch. And so we would anoint with oil. It's a reminder there's a Holy Spirit. I can feel that. I can smell that. And it reminds me of the Holy Spirit, the one from whom that, that healing comes. But what I learned this week also is that, remember, when this is being written, there's not a lot of medicine. Not a lot of advancements in, in medical technology then. And so they had some pretty simple things they would use to, uh, you know, to, to help calm down, to, to ease pain. And a lot of times that was oil. That, that they would put oil to kind of refresh, to encourage, to deaden pain. And so the idea here is, is as the medicine's being applied, we're praying. And so, yes, we can pray in faith. Yes, we can pray over, over medicines and doctors and that that would bring healing. And so the verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Boy, you're really going to hear in this passage about conquering sin. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You know, folks, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you with me, often in my prayer life, the word power is not what I'm thinking. But that's what's getting ready to be offered to you and me is a prayer life that has impact, a prayer life that can be described with the word power. And you look down there at verse 17, and he's going to use an illustration for us of Elijah. And it's, look what he says here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know what he's doing this there? He's beating us to the punch. Because he knows you and I don't feel power when we pray. And he knows he's calling out on Elijah now. Well, what's Elijah? Elijah's like a Bible hero, right? I mean, that's a super saint. I, I can't be like Elijah. I'm not going to be able to pray like Elijah. But in that phrase when he says he has a nature just like ours, he's reminding us, no, don't do that. Don't, don't pretend like Elijah was something you can't be, that Elijah was doing something you can't do. As a matter of fact, if we go to the story of Elijah, which I think is around 1 Kings 17, 18, uh, you find out, hey, this guy, he suffered with depression. He really struggled with insecurity and, and, and with fear. That's the guy we're talking about. And look what it says there. When the dude prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's power. And then he says, okay, Lord, I'm done. It can rain. Boom, thunder and lightning, and the rain starts. Folks, that's the kind of power and prayer that James is saying is here for you and I, that is available for us to use. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, look at again, the defeat of sin, will cover a multitude of of sins. You know, folks, today as we end a series, we begin a theme. Not, not a theme for the, the rest of the, the month or the year, not, not a theme for 2016, just a theme. What, what should be a theme for our church? That life is better connected. 
We will enjoy life. We will have more victory in life. We will have more power in life. And that means through the ups and downs, we will have a better life when we are connected than when not. First and foremost, connected to God. But in being connected to God, in being connected to God's people. And folks, the idea of the New Testament is that when I am connected to God, I will, we will be connected to each other. Sadly, that's not always the case. Sadly, and I, and I think maybe there's a little bit of Americanism that, that creeps in here. Because as Americans, we're very individualistic. And so what creeps in is a, is a really a very common idea that I can be knowing and growing and loving the Lord in kind of my own personal private faith, my own personal journey. Now, I've got friends that are Christians, and I've got friends that, that go to church, but the faith just becomes very personal, and, and we have no real connectedness in Christ with each other. And, and I think what we hear James just saying, saying today is, no, that's not right. That, that, that's not at all God's formula for knowing power and victory. That's not at all God's formula for, for walking in Christ. Listen, if we're suffering, we suffer together. If we're having a high time, then we share that together. And in sharing either one of these things, we end up in prayer. We end up in worship together. You know, you know what James is doing here? He is commanding that you and I put faith in gear together. He is commanding that we live in Christ together. I, I mean, folks, when we, are, when we are caring for each other like this, when we are growing in Christ like this together, do you see what happens? We start to conquer sin. I mean, that's one of the big impacts that we can have in life. When I don't just have friends at church, friends that are Christian, but we're really doing this together, what starts happening is sin starts getting defeated and sin starts getting conquered in my life. You know what James is talking about here, folks, is really a, a, a relationship that is a very deep connection and, and I think shines kind of a very uncomfortable light on the shallowness of our relationships. And I, and I realize shallow is a very negative word. And, and I'm not looking at you as a person. Oh, your relationships are shallow. But folks, come on. Let's, let's be honest. A, a lot of our relationships really never get beyond the meal and the event. Right? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's where you build friendships. It's over pizza. It's over barbecue. It's going to dinner together and play dates and hunting and fishing and shopping and, and, and getting together for the game. But is that the end goal of finding a friend? That, that, that I have events and, and, and places to eat together? No, folks, those should be a platform by which our relationships are built and we start sharing life together. We start sharing the highs and the, and the victories and the opportunities in front of us. And we share the lows and the failures and the places we're getting kicked in the teeth. And the places where we kicked ourselves in the teeth. And, and that start leading us to praying and seeking God together. Folks, do you realize our relationships should be one of the best tools we have. One of the best aids we have in actually growing in Christ. In actually following Christ together. You know, I say that and, and I can't help but think, is that true for us? Even, even here in church. E even here with Christian friends. Didn't ask you if you have Christian friends you hang out with. 
I said, are you building the kind of relationships with those Christians where you are encouraged in the Lord, strengthened in the Lord, called to task in the Lord, motivated in the Lord? I think we resist that kind of vulnerability. I think we resist a lot of times that kind of depth. I think what James is showing us here is a kind of relationship. What our relationships would look like when we're putting faith in gear and we're doing it together. Now, as I go through this, and I'm calling them J5 relationships, which is a real cute, silly way of saying I got this out of James 5, right? Okay, we are being called on to build some J5 relationships. And I, I think we need to understand before we look at this, folks, that you and I do not have the prerogative to look at this and say, not my need. It's not really me, not, not really my personality. And the reason I say that is because I would be one who would say that. If I was sitting out there and the guy was up here flapping his arms and going on, I would be the one to say, that's, that, that's not really me. That's not really my personality. I'm a, I'm a bit of an introvert. I, I don't tend to look for relationship. I don't, I don't tend to think I need a relationship. That's my natural tendency. But do you understand, God would say, uh, number one, yes, it is your need. You're only speaking to your own ignorance when you say, this isn't your need. But folks, read the passage again. God's not selling this, if you will, as a way of meeting your need. He is commanding that this is how you build relationships. In other words, if you think this is not my need at all, okay, then build a relationship where you can meet that need in somebody else. Where you can be for others. See, these are, these are what's being described here is what relationships should look like in a church. It's not about my personality. It's not about my need. It's what I'm being called to as a part of the body of Christ. And I think we see at least three things in this passage. Number one, my relationships do actually get around to sharing the, the great times and the horrible times, the best times and the worst times, the high times and the low times, and whatever we're sharing, it encourages us to go together to God we end up going together to God number two number two that nobody does I know nobody's a big word I'm sure somebody in here does but by and large I can use the word nobody 100% of us almost just completely disobey God on this my relationships share our struggle with sin and we lead each other to victory. You know, when it says confess your sins to one another, I, I, folks, I don't think he's saying you have to get up in church, come down here and tell everybody, air out your dirty laundry. I don't think it's saying you have to stand up in a small group and tell every, everybody that. But what relationships are you doing that in? What relationships is that what you've and then number three, my relationships pray and powerful things happen. Folks, this isn't about praying at the start of a meeting or at the close of the meeting because that's what we do as Christians. We, we pray to begin and we pray to close. No, th th this is about praying together. Th this is about prayer being a central activity of our relationship. And, and what we do. Now folks, when I say my relationships, my relationships, my relationships. It doesn't have to be every relationship. It doesn't even have to be every single relationship here at church. But some of them, right? 
Some of our relationships should be doing this. And certainly some of them here at church should be defined this way. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, I probably shouldn't say some. I should probably say many. But I don't say many because I think many of us are trying to actually avoid relating like this. And so if I say many, I just scare everybody off. And we all just, you know, the shades come down and we just endure the rest of the message. Folks, this is... This is how we put faith in gear. This is how we live life in Christ. It's not alone. You will be shocked to go through the New Testament and find out how many things you are told to do alone. Folks, the story of the New Testament is the story of the church. It's the story of our relationships and what we do together. And we're actually trying to avoid this. We don't do this especially, especially you men. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to do that. Now, you, know, you can also come back and say, well, that's, that's not, that's a little bit unfair, Pastor. I, I, man, I've got some friendships. We, I share good times and I, I share bad times and, and they, they do the same. We, we do that in our relationship. How many times has it led you to prayer? How many of your relationships would you say prayer is a central and main activity? Because folks, central to this passage, central to all this sharing and, that we're doing is that it ends up leading us to prayer and worship. How many times is that happening? And this number two, again, I mean, folks, we're not going to do this. And the result is, watch this. The result is that sin maintains its dominance over our entire Christian journey. Do you realize that what's being talked about here in James 5 may be the singular reason why so many of us never see any real victory over sin? We never conquer that sin. Because I'm not going to get people praying for me. I'm not even building relationships where I could get certain people praying for me like that. Holding me accountable. Encouraging me. A place where I could go when I'm, I'm feeling weak and I'm failing and I'm giving into that. We're, we're just, no, I'm not, not going to do it. And when we say we're not going to do it, what we're saying is, I will remain a slave to the sin that Jesus died to free me from. It's not alone. It, it, it's not alone that we do this. It, it's together. And what ends up happening, folks, is power. What ends up happening is, is victory. We are coming together and we're praying about great things and we're doing great things and, and sin is being conquered. And that's what defines, that's what describes our relationships. And what we're defining and talking about here today, folks, is the church. And because we don't understand this or this, then we don't understand the statement, you're not growing in Christ, you're not strong in Christ, you don't have something great going with God when you're not connected to the church. See, for most of us, the idea that I've got to be involved in church to be really having something with God is a foreign idea, if not an offensive idea. I'd say, no, the two go hand in hand. There's no formula in the New Testament where you are being and doing something great for God if you're just kind of hanging out and, 
You know, I got a building I go to and I got an hour I spend, but I'm not really connected to God's people. That's not there. And so when I say to a, maybe a person out in the concourse or a stranger on the street, this is, this is how messed up our understanding of what church is. When I say, hey man, you've got to be involved in church, you've got to be engaged in church to be growing in the Lord. You see, when I say that, this is what they hear me saying. What they hear me saying is, hey man, if you want to really experience God, if you want to really grow in the Lord, you need to find a building to go to once a week and sit in it for an hour and be bored out of your mind. For some reason, God's just pleased with that. That's what they hear. Because that's the definition of church. It's a building you go sit in for an hour a week. Is that what James is talking about? Let me, let me take out the word James. Is that what God is talking about through his servant James? You see, when God says go to that building, he's not saying go sit in the building and be bored out of your mind for an hour. He's saying go to that building and build these kinds of relationships. Relationships where your prayers and your relationship and your life is filled with power. It's filled with victory. And you begin to impact and change everything around you. Do you realize that he is holding Elijah out to you and me as an example of what should be the product of our Christian friendships? And that just sounds completely weird. I, don't even, I can't even imagine this. That because you and I are friends, we could pray and it would stop raining for three and a half years. I don't, that's just, let's be honest, folks. And most of us in here are real Bible believers. I don't even know what that means. Never experienced anything like that. Don't even anticipate experiencing anything like that. You see how far we are? You see how far we've gotten from what God's idea is? When he puts this thing together called the church. What would happen? What could happen if every single one of us was thinking, man, what is my role? What am I doing so that this is what the heights is? What am I doing so that I am building these kinds of relationships? What am I doing? Can I help answer that question? I want to give you three ideas real quickly, and they're just starter ideas. These ideas by themselves will not bring to fruition anything. It's kind of a strange idea, isn't it? Hey, if you do these three things, it won't actually see anything to a conclusion. But what these three things are is they're what starts the process. Number one, folks, we've got to be here. Right? It's just very difficult to build a relationship when you see somebody. I mean, if you can count it on your hands over the course of a whole year then you're not building something. You might be sitting in a room one hour a week, but you're not, you're not building anything with the church. You're not building anything with, with God's people. You've got to be here. You know, we've seen this in our church. A lot of studies that are out that, about this right now. One by Tom Rainier. I know that name doesn't mean anything to you. I'm just quoting a name to tell you I'm not making this up off the top of my head. We're, we're, what, is, what the church is being overwhelmed with right now is the decline in attendance, not from non-churchgoers, from leadership. From leadership, people who are active, people who are the core, being at church is just not, not a requirement anymore. I mean, yeah, you know, we're all going to miss. We all have very good, very valid reasons that we're going to miss at least once a month. At least. So we're not here. 
And the church gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And our impact on the individual, on the home, on the community gets what? Weaker and weaker and weaker. Do you think there's any evidence for that in America right now? You know what? There are a lot of good reasons. There are a lot of valid reasons. I'm I'm pastor. If you want me to sign a piece of paper, I will. There's a lot of good reasons to be gone next week. But what if we just kind of redirected the way we thought about this and we started thinking about all the valid reasons to be here as often as we can, even when it's not always convenient, even when we're tired, we were just constantly thinking about all the valid reasons to be here. And when we get here, folks, we've got to move into a smaller group. And that's not because we're a large church. Go join a church with 112 people in it. You need to move into a smaller group. Because you're not going to get up and confess your sins to to 2,500 or to 112. We've got to move into a smaller group where we're creating that place. Whether it's we consider our need or not. We're building these kinds of relationships. And here that's life group that takes place on, on Sunday mornings. But when I say number two... I have to add right to it number three. I think maybe they should almost be one point. Use that small group for the express purpose of building J5 relationships. What I mean by that, folks, is it is quite possible. As a matter of fact, it happens every single Sunday with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. You can come here, sit in here for an hour, and then go sit in a life group for another hour, and absolutely nothing like this happen. Right? Okay? Our challenge is not to go from sitting in a building for one hour a week to sitting in a building for two hours a week. No, I've, I've got to go into that room with the express purpose of doing this. Of building these kinds of relationships. And folks, I end with these last three words. You, you, you do it. Now, come on, folks. We've got to take some ownership of this. See, I can say, well, this isn't happening in my life, but, you know, I I came next Sunday and I didn't hear any announcement about starting a J5 relationship. Oh, I went to the small group. I sat there. Nobody handed out a sign-up sheet that said, here's where, sign up for J5 relationships. Nobody came up to me and said, hey, you want to be BFFs till Christ comes? I, I mean, folks, we do. Across our church, across every church, we walk into a building and say, nobody did this for me. It's not my fault. Take some ownership of your own walk with Christ. And with the command that your own walk with Christ is to be taking place hand in hand with others. And that doesn't just mean sitting in the same building each week. You know what, if, if, if you're here today, it will be, I don't know, 2,500 people. If 2,499 people absolutely disobey every single point of this passage, but you're the one who dies on the way home this afternoon. And you stand before God and He says to you, Hey, why didn't you do what I said in James 5? Well, I would have, but there was no announcements about it. There was no sign-up sheet for it. You know what? Honestly, Lord, not one single person talked to me. So is that my fault? You know, I think God's going to say, you know what, you're right, that's sad. And when the other 2,499 get here, I'll talk with them about it. Why didn't you do? Who do you, folks, look at James 5. Who do you think this command is for? Me? You think it's just for me? Somebody, with, you, you think it's for well, well, whoever up there has a title? Well, whoever up there has high attendance? Who do you think this is written to? It's written to you. 
Maybe you've been here six times in 2015. It's written to you. What are you doing? So that the church, your church, is going to be found faithful to be the church that God's called the church to be. So that when people watch us, they see power. And they see victory. And they see sin being beaten. Honestly, it's hard to imagine. I don't actually put so much stock in my message that I changed the world today. No, I, I'm being honest. It's hard to imagine that it's going to change anything. Let's pray. Father, help me, help us imagine it. But Lord, help me and help us to realize it's not imagining that's going to bring it about, it's vulnerability. It's obedience. It's stepping out in faith. It's it's realizing that when I do this in some relationships, it ain't going to work at all. But then there'll be some that it does. Lord, we confess to you that we are entirely satisfied to let church be an event, a chore that we check off, we did it, we go home. Lord, we confess to you that we ignore, probably don't even know that there are over 30 commands in the New Testament, 30 different commands about what we are to be doing for one another in this room today and throughout this day and throughout this week. We don't even know what they are. We live in a constant state of disobedience in our relationship with the church. Lord, I pray, though, that what we see in your word is not you shaking your finger at us and, 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 and hoping that we feel guilty enough that we do something. And you're holding out for us victory over sin. You're holding out for us real power that has a real impact on our community and our world for the advancement of your kingdom and the advancement of you in our very own lives and homes. God, I know a lot of us want that. Help us to see the path you've given to get there. I pray each one of us would think as we head toward these doors what needs to be happening in my life, in our lives so that we're helping this church be found faithful in building J5 relationships. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.